If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Stocks for beginners. Weekend watch list. Hi, and welcome back to Stocks for Beginners Weekend Watchlist, where we'll be taking a close look at an individual company, sector, or ETF that you may wish to consider for your watchlist. It's not a recommendation to buy, but a way for you to learn how experts screen for value and opportunities. Joining me today is Luke Hallard from Seven Investing. Hello, Luke. Hi, Phil. Fantastic to have the opportunity to appear on your show. Thanks so much for the invite. We're going to be talking about megatrends, or we're going to start talking about megatrends because um, that's the way that you start looking for stocks to invest in. Tell, tell us about your approach with megatrends. Yeah, so I suppose I've been an investor for nearly 20 years. And I think I really discovered growth investing around 2004, 2005. And I would say really in the last 10 to 12 years or so, my approach has really evolved to investing I think the term that Simon Erickson from Seven Investing uses is investing where the puck is going. So really trying to think about what are the factors, what are the things influencing the world? And as a society, what are, the, what are our needs and demands in 10, 20 years time? And then trying to find trends uh, that are investable and you know opportunities to buy good quality companies that perhaps just set up to service those needs of the future. So tell us about the mega trend of work from home and um, how you're viewing that. Yeah, it's a really big one, isn't it? I suppose the pandemic has really pushed that mega trend forward, really brought it to the fore. But it's quite interesting, I suppose. Um, Work from home and flexible working actually was a trend that we could see before the pandemic. Um, I think people have always wanted that flexibility in how they work and how they spend their lives and to get a bit more work-life balance. I suppose even more recently, we've seen in many countries drives perhaps towards a four-day working week. I think that's a that's a symptom of, of that desire by employees to have that flexibility. It's the acceleration with the pandemic as well, isn't it? Exactly. The pandemic really accelerated that need. And many companies that were kind of holding out, um, they were forced to adapt or die, I suppose. They have shut down the business or allow their employees to have that flexibility. So that's really brought this mega trend to the fore. And I think it's quite an interesting mega trend. It enables so many different things and it's really going to potentially change society in very, very fundamental ways. Um, but maybe maybe rather than just me kind of saying, this is what Luke thinks, I found a couple of uh, quite well-respected research firms who have also done quite a lot of work into this to support businesses in understanding whether this is a trend that they need to prepare for, prepare the organizations for. And if if you don't mind, if I can kind of throw out a few statistics, I think that might bring it to life a little bit. <laughs> we love some stats, Luke. <laughs> <laughs> so I think the first of all is um, uh, there's a real dichotomy between what employees and what employers want. Evidently, 96% of financial services professionals would give up a percentage of their salary to work from home permanently. 
and actually when polled said up to 37% of their salary. That's quite a cost saving for businesses. I think that's quite interesting. But at the same time, 72% of US managers currently supervising remote workers have said they would prefer all their subordinates to be in the office. Um, and actually, nearly half of them said they sometimes forget about their remote workers when they're assigning tasks. So uh, you've got this real kind of cultural divide, I think, between employees and employers. But I think when forward-looking businesses really come to terms with the fact that to retain their employees, they have to offer these flexible terms, then there are significant benefits to the business. Evidently, higher productivity has been measured in most industries, better talent retention, certainly if people are planning to leave their job to retain their flexible benefits, then the best people potentially are going to get lost. Of course, being more flexible broadens your talent pool. And interestingly, I think not just geographically, but also perhaps from an inclusivity perspective, if someone's maybe differently abled and they can't get into a regular workplace five days a week, but if they're working from their home office, well, actually, that's not a barrier in any way. It's better for your work culture, improve work-life balance, better for sustainability. You know, we know how hot companies are on their ESG metrics. And I suppose the biggest one really is just cost savings, you know, less real estate. It costs so much money to put a bum in a seat in an office. And, um, and that's going to be a significant saving for business. So I think forward-looking businesses, when they come to terms with these benefits, they're really going to embed working from home and flexible working much more completely in the way they operate and the way they do business long beyond the pandemic. And this is not something that's affecting employees. So many companies and organizations now can employ gig workers rather than people on a full-time employee basis. Yes, exactly. And I, I think... Well, and we're going to dive into one particular company today that really are at the foundation of the gig economy. And I think it's a company that you and I are quite familiar with ourselves. Should we reveal the name? Fiverr. Fiver. Let's Fiverr. <laughs> Double R. <Yeah. laughs> um, I, I like the way you roll your R's. Very good. I definitely can't do that. Um, but, but Fiverr and other companies like Upwork, they've really been at the center of this mega trend for quite some time. You know, founded over 10 years ago, um, but have really come to a fore, particularly as, sadly, many people have lost their permanent jobs as a result of the pandemic, and they've had to find alternative sources of income. Let's take a close look about what it actually does. The technical term, I suppose, would be to say Fiverr is a two-sided marketplace between sellers and buyers. What does that really mean? So they're, they're a platform that sits in the middle. You could almost think about them as being the eBay for services. So if you're a seller on the Fiverr platform, you post a gig, you know, they even call these things gigs, they show, you know, clearly aligned with the gig economy. And a gig is a is an offering of your skill set to the community. And then buyers come onto the platform and they can buy your services. And so there's a real range of types of services that Fiverr sellers offer. I've actually used many different services myself over the years. Things like creative services, logos, voiceovers, marketing, video editing. Also art, um, art and graphic design. Actually, I had some real fun with Fiverr. I was on vacation in Costa Rica just a month ago. And for my Christmas present from my brother, 
I managed to remotely get a Fiverr artist, I think in somewhere else in South America, to create a, a Renaissance style painting of his dog Bailey dressed in military uniform. And then like I managed to get that printed and framed and shipped to him for Christmas. That was that's fantastic. But it's not just kind of art and fun stuff like that. Also some real technical uh, and business capabilities, things like web design, search engine optimization, actually software development as well. We got Fiverr to help write my wife's resume, her CV, many years ago. Fiverr artists can do translation, create infographics. So really, in many ways, if you're a small business, you could almost buy virtually any service you need on Fiverr very cost-effectively and very quickly scale up without all the headache of hiring a permanent workforce or engaging a contractor on a more permanent basis. This company is a relatively new company, and it is founder-run and owned. There's a lot of skin in the game, isn't there? Uh, There is, yes. It's actually an Israeli company. I think they launched in 2010, but they only really came to the public markets in June 2019. And yes, you're absolutely right. Founders do have significant skin in the game. And that's, as an investor, that's a really helpful thing to look for because it shows that founders' incentives are very closely aligned with shareholders. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. This company, though, it's still unprofitable, and the share price has dropped over 60% in the past year. It's um, not one of those cases of catching a falling knife, is it? Well, I don't know about you, Phil, but I look at my portfolio, and there are quite a few very good quality companies that have fallen similar numbers, over the last, particularly over the last quarter and a half. So, and um, particularly in this, um, in this sort of sector, in the technology and software as a service sector. Yes, exactly. I guess you and I just now were talking about businesses or or rather buyers engaging sellers almost in lower cost parts of the world, developing economies for these little sort of niche skills. And certainly that's how Fiverr started out. And actually initially, I mean the term Fiverr, it's I don't know if it's common, but it's it's certainly British rhyming slang. A Fiverr is kind of five pounds. And uh, when Fiverr launched the base price for their services was $5. Well, they, um, they they lifted that limitation quite a long time ago, 2013. You can now spend thousands of dollars on a, on a gig, on a, a piece of service. And their company are really trying to move up the quality curve. And, and we'll talk in a bit about how they're doing that. But I think that's really foundational to their future, potentially, as a successful growth investment. There's a really interesting network effect, I think, that starts to happen as they bring in higher quality sellers onto the platform. That's going to bring in more serious buyers. And so that's, you know, that's maturing the marketplace and making them much more credible. But also it's going to be great for revenues because obviously the, the cost of the services being sold is far higher at that higher quality level. So there's a number of things that the company have done really in the last three to four years that have really push them up that quality curve. So if we just drill into a couple of those, um, they launched something called Fiverr Pro in 2017. And uh, a Fiverr Pro seller 
really really were the sort of highest quality sellers on the platform and charging a much higher rate, but getting correspondingly much higher ratings from their buyers. So you had that confidence that you were buying from a real expert. In 2020, they launched something they call Fiverr Business. And what Fiverr Business is really is a dedicated environment, kind of a portal for your business when you're engaging with a bunch of sellers on the Fiverr platform and really bringing together your preferred sellers into one place um, so you can manage those those freelancers that you're working with on behalf of your company, tracking and managing your budget and your project status, um, it linking communication with your sellers into your own communications infrastructure. So for example, you could chat with your team on Slack and also be chatting with the seller at the same time. And then just having a much more robust customer service proposition. So it felt like a a, a real sort of partnership between Fiverr, the platform, and the buyer themselves. So that was key. But then at the same time, Fiverr are also very cognizant of having to nurture their seller ecosystem and really help their sellers um, operate in a much more slick way. So I think a really exciting innovation they're driving right now, um, following the acquisition of a company called and.co is creation of something called Fiverr Workspace. And it's a bit like Fiverr Business, but facing into the sellers. What Workspace does is enables the freelancers themselves just to operate in a much more professional manner and seamlessly integrate their Fiverr gigs uh, where they're freelancing on the Fiverr platform with maybe other freelancing work they're doing already. I think Fiverr do recognize that actually it's a tiny fraction, something like 5% of freelancing really happens being brokered through platforms like Fiverr and Upwork. Um, The majority of freelancing happens offline. And so they're trying to create these capabilities to bring better quality, more professional sellers to the platform. And indeed, actually, small thing, but I think quite interesting they acquired um, an online learning startup called Creative Live just a few months ago. And that was really to benefit their seller community and try and roll out uh, sort of e-learning and help upskill their sellers so they can do an even better job. I think it really quite shows quite clearly how they're trying to invest in their sellers and make this a platform that's known more for quality rather than kind of five bucks for a little gig here and there. Yep, that's right. So it's not quite so fragmented. Interestingly, I heard a podcast recently about a woman in London who started a content writing, just by herself, writing content, and it grew and grew and grew. And even though her Fiverr profile is still just basically her and her picture, um, she's actually got a, a whole team of uh, freelancers who are supplying and she's just basically looking after the whole thing. Well, she's actually got employees who are doing the quality control and it's actually turned into mm. quite a large business. So this is kind of what you're talking about is just formalizing this process that many people are finding in their experience with a company like Fiverr. Yeah, I hadn't heard that anecdote. That's great. Mm. I, I think it's really interesting how technology like Fiverr, and there are so many companies like this, are really helping us all be more agile in the way either mm. we do business or the way we live our lives. So I'm, I'm sure that lady would have found it very difficult to build a customer base and to engage her own suppliers 
in the world before tools like Fiverr. Yeah, but for me, it's like um, I feel like um, you, we're able to, with this technology to put on these superhero exoskeletons to give us superpowers for very low cost <laughs> when we're running these little online businesses like podcasts and um, investment services. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, can I ask, have you used Fiverr yourself for your podcast? I have. Yes, yes, I have. Well, for uh, blog posting and uh, content writing. And my experience has been either finding people who aren't very good at the writing process, but then I've found people who are fantastic writers, but then they haven't got the time <laughs> to do the work for me. <laughs> so I haven't cracked that sweet spot yet. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's interesting, I suppose, and I've had mixed experiences as well with Fiverr, and maybe that brings us on to the bear case a little bit. Um, and there are there are certainly some factors that do concern me about my own investment in this company. And you know, full disclosure, I have been a Fiverr shareholder for over a year now. So we we haven't really got into the the pros of their financials. Maybe just to rattle off a few of the the bull um, points from that before we talk about the bear case. They are having experiencing rapid revenue growth, something like well north of forty percent year over year growth of their active buyer community. The amount of spend per buyer is going up. But there's another stat that the company are very proud of and I think is quite dangerous. And I don't know if you're familiar with the term take rate. Effectively, the take rate is uh, really on most platforms. It's the amount of money the platform keeps from every transaction. And the Fiverr's take rate is actually very high. It's over 27%. In fact, in the most recent quarter, they were patting each other on the back because the take rate was over 28%. But this is actually quite a horrible inefficiency in the market. You know, if you're a buyer and a seller transacting, well, nearly a third of that money goes to Fiverr. I think that's quite a concern. And that could drive sellers away from the ecosystem, even though there are disadvantages if you, you know, if you and I were taking our buyer-seller relationship offline. We'll both lose a lot from that, lose perhaps a lot of protections and things that Fiverr offers. But hey, if we can save 28% out of that transaction, well, it's kind of a no-brainer. So I do think Fiverr need to uh, mature to the point that they can bring that take rate down, or if not bring it down, offer even more sophisticated services to sellers to ensure that the transactions stay on the platform. And then as I think you were hinting just now, um, they, they're not profitable they are free cash flow positive, but they haven't really turned uh, a profit, true earnings yet. And I think that is a concern. But I think if you look at all of the acquisitions they've made and how they're investing in the firm, it, can't, it, it does start to explain why they're unprofitable. You know, They are investing in their own future, but those numbers aren't super pretty right now. And actually, are degrading. They're spending even more money in recent quarters. So, Luke, tell us about your recent move to Seven Investing and where you came from from Telescope Investing. Yeah, thanks, Phil. Yeah, it's uh, it's been quite an exciting upheaval in my life. Actually, as I said at the top, I have been an investor for nearly coming up to two decades, and really, quite an exciting opportunity came up in over Christmas. My co-host on Telescope Investing, Albert, and, and I had the opportunity to interview Simon Erickson, the founder and CEO of Seven Investing, back in August or September last year. And I think we recognized at the time that there was a really close alignment between 
uh, the way Simon invested and the way the seven investing service operated. And Simon made a very kind offer that, that I could consider joining the seven investing team as their seventh advisor. So yeah, came on board at the start of January and just yesterday, my first ever stock recommendation went live on the service. So that's been really exciting to engage with seven investing subscribers on our discord and, and chat, get quite deep into what the company does and why they're excited and exciting investment. And actually, now I won't talk about who the company is, but it's also very much benefiting from this tailwind of work from anywhere and hybrid working. Certainly, it's an area of focus for me as an investor right now. Well, I'm sure listeners can uh, find that just by going to Seven Investing and looking up Luke Hallard and see where um, your f- initial contribution. And also, if you're interested in signing up, use the promo code Stocks for Beginners. That's all one word, lowercase Stocks for Beginners, and you'll get a very special discount. Luke Hallard, thank you very much, and good luck in the future. Thanks, Phil. Pleasure chatting today. If you found this podcast helpful, please tell a friend, especially if it's someone who needs to start thinking about investing for their future. You'll be helping them and helping me to keep this show on the road. Stocks for Beginners is for information and educational purposes only. It isn't financial advice and you shouldn't buy or sell any investments based on what you've heard here. Any opinion or commentary is the view of the speaker only, not Stocks for Beginners. This podcast doesn't replace professional advice regarding your personal financial needs, circumstances or current situation. And thank you for listening to my podcast. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.